Welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, Gary. Could not be better. Literally, life is great. Still locked down. Still sitting at home all day doing nothing. So life couldn't be better. Yourself? Excellent. Brilliant. Can't complain. We're getting some lovely weather here in Ireland at the moment. Just permanently lashing rain, getting colder. You know, the days are nice and long as well. I mean, it, yeah, it, lovely it, long days. We have yeah. sunlight until half three, and it's great. Yeah, it's just it's perfect. Like, what more could you wish for in November? Um, so really yeah, couldn't ask for anything else. Anyway, guy, what are we talking about today? We're gonna have a sleepy podcast. We're going to talk about sleep, okay? So this is something that we have discussed on the podcast many times, um, in, but mainly in passing. So very often we might talk about something like recovery or well, nutrition for fat loss, and we'll say something like, well, it's also important that you get enough sleep. And in this podcast, what we're going to try and do is distill exactly one, why that's important, and two, what we mean when we say enough sleep. And three, um, the different things you can do to preserve not only the quantity, but also the quality of your sleep. So at the end of this podcast, we would hope that you understand why sleep is something that's important for you, um, regardless of your goals in life, and also what you can do to try and preserve um, the benefits of sleep. 100%. Now, the entire caveat for this podcast is that I have over the last... 14 weeks written over a hundred thousand words on sleep. So this is basically on the back end of that, having spent the best, the best part of three months, well, over three months and um, studying sleep myself and writing articles about it. So every single thing we talk about today, there is a more comprehensive article written on site. I'm actually going to link them. So whatever you're, if you're listening to this on the podcast or you're listening to this I don't know, on, on YouTube, you're watching it, um, like they're going to be linked below or somewhere, wherever the link is for stuff on the medium you're listening to this, right? So there's 13 articles on it. There's countless in-depth examples and fucking whatever else that will uh, elaborate on the stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, but don't think for a second that I'm going to be able, or Gary is going to be able to distill down over 100,000 words with lots and lots and lots of references, which I unfortunately had to read. Um, to, uh, we're not going to be able to distill that down into an hour podcast or whatever this ends up being, you know, like that's, it's just not going to happen. So if you are actually interested and you want to, you know, further your knowledge on this stuff, like read the articles, I would like to think because I wrote them. And so obviously I'm biased, but I'd like to think they're quite good, quite, quite approachable. And anyone could read them and come away with a better understanding of sleep in general. Right. So that's the caveat to this, because at a few points, we're basically going to say like, yeah, this is the fact we're not going to elaborate on it more because I'm basically treating this as you're going to use this as a launching point or maybe a refreshing article or a podcast uh, because you've either read the articles or you're going to read the articles, right? And for everyone who else who is not really interested in reading the articles, I want to provide enough information in this podcast so that you can actually you know, get better sleep, understand why it's important, that kind of stuff, right? So we have a hard task today, Gary, um, but hopefully we can achieve it, right? So the first thing is like, and this is 
well, again, one of those broad statements, but again, there's article, like uh, there's three articles on each of these things that goes in depth with it. But sleep itself is pretty good for your health. It does a lot of stuff. It's pretty good for your performance in the gym, but also your performance in like everyday life, which, you know, we all kind of want to be good at. Um, and then it has an, an interplay with nutrition, right? So getting enough sleep is beneficial if any of those three things are something that you want to get better at you know or at least maintain the the current level of goodness of that you are at at those things right um so we could go in more depth with that guy you think we should go a little bit deeper with those things because again like uh, it's kind of self-explanatory to an extent in terms of it's good for these things. Like they're like, we can go into some mechanistic stuff, but like it doesn't really help. And again, there's articles on this. Like I'll touch on a few things, but do you think we should do a deep dive on those? Or do you think it's, it's fairly good, easy to go to just go, right. It's beneficial for health. It's beneficial performance. It's beneficial for nutrition. Yeah. It is one of those things where like, it's almost like when you read about any topic as it relates to exercise, like, Oh yeah. Exercise improves this exercise improves this. Like it basically never makes any, anything worse. Um, to be fair, like we, like, like when it comes to sleep, first and foremost, all of the things that you think would be, um, affected by a lifestyle behavior, such as heart disease risk, neurodegenerative disease risk, um, and, and even just your basic daily health, like for example, your energy levels, your mood, etc. All of these things are affected by sleep and they're indirect, the direction that you would generally expect. And um, that doesn't always mean that more is better because in some cases you could be, you know, sleeping excessively because of an underlying condition or because of a deficit in sleep quality. Um, but that's, in actually, general, that's actually something that I went into in one of the articles that yeah. I think it's the fourth or fifth article where it's like, how much sleep do you need? Because people always assume that, you know, more is better. And that's not necessarily the case because like you said, there's, detriments that like that that more could be because you have issues you know already but it could also be that it's causing you issues like having more sleep is associated with poor blood sugar regulation in and of itself you know and poorer nutrition so it's like there's this goldilocks zone with sleep as well in terms of it's like this is how much you need this is too little and this is too much and I, I, like it's rarer that people get too much but that stuff does actually happen and even if you just go beyond like you're saying the health stuff like that impacts your life and your ability to you know yeah. get money you know generate wealth and you know live a meaningful life if you're asleep for 12 hours of a day you know it's like if you have to work like you you're asleep around your work schedule it's like that doesn't really leave a lot of time to engage in like healthy or meaningful habits in terms of like it's hard to get to the gym then it's hard to see your friends and family it's hard to do anything other than being in work you know yeah and, and i think this is something that's actually really important to understand because very often what people kind of want to get out of like us talking about sleep or if we talk about nutrition, it's the same thing. You want to kind of understand the the causal step between what we're talking about. So for example, a sleep deprivation and the deficit that you're seeing. So it'll be like, you know, why does sleep deprivation cause um, heart disease or increased risk of heart disease? And the thing with sleep is that it, it's, it's basically like a, more of a shotgun than a sniper. So basically what happens is when you don't sleep enough, it basically hits loads, loads of things off target as well as the target. So examples would be, you know, it might have direct effects on your lipid profile, for example, but what it'll, what it'll also do is if you're sleep deprived, then you're going to make worse food choices. You're going to be less likely to exercise. You're going to recover poorer from that exercise. Your decision-making is impaired. All of these different things that you can very clearly see 
also relate to heart disease risk. So it's never, it's, or it's never or it's very rarely just one single causal step, but rather a lot of different things interacting. So if you just understand that not sleeping enough basically affects all of your physiology, all of your psychology, and that can then go on to increase risk of various different diseases, poor health outcomes, poor quality of life. And I think that's a better way of thinking about it than, than having a reductionist kind of perspective of, you know, one cause, one effect, because it's just not, not that simple in this case. Yeah, the way I kind of think about it is, is like, the, like sleep as a general thing is re- responsible for recovery and maintenance of structures and systems in the body right so like i always uh, kind of in my head anyway analogize it to like if you just got rid of all of the like whatever structure it is in society or whatever if you just got rid of all the the maintenance people for that yeah. it's like that some structures like if it's say like, i don't know a uh, uh, a wall or something you know it doesn't need a huge amount of upkeep like it might get a bit overgrown or something but it's not going to fall apart however other structures are they, they, they require like daily maintenance, you know? So sleep is like, okay, well, if recovery and repair and maintenance and whatever is not, you know, ongoing, like some structures are going to fall apart quicker than other structures, which then have knock-on effects. However, and I, I said this in one of the articles, I think it's actually in two of the articles, where like it, there's a lot of studies on what goes wrong with poor sleep, you know? But there's not a lot of studies in terms of like all of the actual things that sleep does because we end up basically studying the stuff that falls apart quicker yeah right and because it's easier to study you're like oh someone didn't sleep for 36 hours and it's like this is the profile this is whatever it happens you know someone has poor sleep for five years these are the top three things that are going to go wrong you know however it's like we like there there's there's more to the discussion because first of all like obviously sleep deprivation for example is not just one thing you know like obviously there's a difference between you just didn't sleep at all for again 36 48 hours versus you have been consistently missing an hour every single night for the last 10 years, you know, like obviously they're two different things, but they're under that broader umbrella of like sleep deprivation. Right. But obviously different structures and different things happen in regard or in, in response to those different differences, different sleep deprivation, you know, phenotypes. Right. So that is something that it makes it really hard to actually understand all of the things that sleep is actually affecting. Right. But like in my head, as I said, I just think I'm like, okay, sleep is the time repair and recovery. If anything needs repair and recovery, it needs sleep. Right. There are, there is more to it then, you know, like there's like memory consolidation and, you know, like cognitive ability and stuff like that, like a lot of brain stuff as well. Um, but that's not like, that's not the entirety of sleep either, you know, cause I also think, especially from reading all these articles, like a lot of them are written by neurosurgeons or not neurosurgeons, neuroscientists when they're talking about sleep and like one gripe, like obviously I'm a biochemist representing, um, but, uh, like the one thing I have a, a, a qualm with neuroscientists is they're very like brain focused, you know, it's like, once you go outside the blood brain barrier, they're like, ah, I just don't look at that, you know? So we end up with research that's very brain focused but sleep itself is not a brain focused event. Right. And this is something if you are reading about or researching further into sleep, you do have to look at it in terms of a total body, uh, you know, phenomenon, right? Like it, it, stuff is happening across the entire body. Like I, I in, in the uh, article I wrote about um, how like you could analogize it to like, you can measure brain waves while you're sleeping and you can make that look like, Oh, this is all the stuff that's going on with sleep. And we're like, you can measure like different things that are happening in different parts of the brain and whatever else. Right. And you can be like, right. Oh, sleep is very much a brain related phenomenon. Right. 
but you could do the same thing with exercise you know like you could put electrodes in your brain you can measure the brain what's firing here and what's going on here and you can be like oh yeah exercise is a brain related phenomena because this this and this and this is happening you know but that ignores the whole the totality of what's actually occurring which is stuff is going on in the brain yeah and stuff is going on in the body those two are not separate things like stuff is just going on in your entire entity as a being or whatever you know so that's one of the things that i would like to just get across that you know it, we can be very reductionist in our viewpoint in terms of like like obviously i have a qualm with it because like you know neuroscientists i'm like man there's a blood brain barrier let's let's go beyond it um but uh that like i i do i like i don't like how people have this real reductionist like oh it's just brain it's just a brain stuff we should just look at brain waves and like that's 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 how we measure sleep quality, sleep quantity, sleep, whatever, you know, it's like, there's more to it than that, you know? Yeah. I, I would, I would both uh, agree and disagree in the sense that like, I think it is really important to understand that not only like if you, if you do think, if you start with the assumption that right, sleep is a, a brain phenomenon and the main areas in, in that are responsible for controlling consciousness are located in the, in the brain stem. And um, we could say then what what happens thereafter is that one the brain stem and the, the brain in general is monitoring the central nervous system is monitoring what's going on in the periphery so you've got that you've got the input that is actually responsible for setting up the conditions in the first place and therefore as you say it's um it's important to remember that all of that peripheral stuff is influencing um even setting the stage in the first place and then thereafter you've got the outputs as well because what we see is that if it, let's say sleep is initiated, um, which is something that's important to realize because it is a process that is initiated. It's an active process rather than just one of like a differentiation is what was the initial theory that basically it was just a case of once you didn't have the passive receipt of sensory input, that's when you sleep. Whereas it's actually more of a kind of an, it's a, it's a process that's, that's actually regulated by the brain and it's a case of increasing synchronicity where we're trying to like synchronize things and you can see it's an active process when you look into the actual neural mechanisms but the output of that is then various changes within the body like such as you know changes in heart rate changes in blood pressure um, changes in muscle tone and different uh, hormonal changes like the release of growth hormone for example and they then have again peripheral effects so you've got the input coming from the periphery you've got outputs coming from the periphery and therefore while you can think of it in a you know in a fair sense as being a centrally mediated event mediated event within the central nervous system both the inputs and the outputs are in the periphery so that's all just really important to keep in mind if you are just thinking of it as a brain phenomenon yeah and this is also actually really important and like obviously i have a gripe with this like this is my uh <laughs> my bias coming into this um but it is important to distinguish because like people do have this very reductionist view of sleep and assume that we know everything about sleep because we've studied the brain, but that's just not the case. Like, first of all, like melatonin is released into the bloodstream and then it has these peripheral like effects, you know, like we'll, we'll, we'll touch on melatonin in a second. Um, but it has these effects then in the body, but it's like, there's other stuff that's going on in the body that is regulating sleep without actually ever even crossing any, like it's not going into any central nervous or nervous tissue you know and it's it's still regulating sleep like there's feedback mechanisms you know it's a it's a bi-directional path so even though it's easy to have this uh notion in your mind in terms of it's like oh like light like that's one of the things we'll, we'll touch on enters the brain you know or enters the eyes triggers you know 
whatever and then it, it signals to the suprachiasmatic nucleus and it's like oh yeah right melatonin time baby you know uh, well that goes to the pineal gland whatever you know but it's like yeah okay make melatonin right and it's very easy to think that's that's the totality that's how we sleep you know when in reality it's like that's that's not even half of it yeah we could say that's the master clock but just because that's the clock that every other clock in the body if we're using a clock analogy um just because it's the master clock doesn't mean that it's all the clocks like there can be other clocks in the body that are off time to that master clock they're not listening to it and you're gonna have a fucking hard time sleeping if that's the case you know so like it shouldn't be viewed as just a brain event it's a total body event and as i said like there's stuff going on in these other tissues that are just as important as the brain stuff like you could be like oh memory consolidation is happening in the brain it's like yeah cool i'm actually repairing all these structures that allow me to walk (laughs) <laughs> you know it's like like which one's more important you know um like they're obviously both important in case that wasn't obvious um but yeah anyway so we touched on a few things there i just want to cover one thing before well i just finished this this thought up um but basically yeah so sleep is important for pretty much fucking everything right like there's there's nothing it touches its tentacles go into everything right so it's it's like breathing you know it's like you just it's something that needs to be done for a human or any life. Well, I should say not any life because there are actually organisms like that don't need sleep. Like I covered a few in the the article as well, like tuna, they don't sleep, you know? And it's like, it's not necessarily like, oh, single celled organisms. It's like, oh, they don't need to sleep and because they're stupid or whatever. I'm like, like a tuna has a brain, you know? And there's also like single celled organisms that have like, or not single celled, like simplistic organisms that have like sleep wake cycles. You know, so it's like, it's not as clearly delineated in terms of, oh, this is when sleep happens. Like, for example, like dolphins as well, like they sleep with half their brain, you know, like one half of their brain goes to sleep and then that wakes up and then the other half of their brain goes to sleep. So it's like, like what, what we think of as sleep is not the totality of what sleep actually could be in terms of the actual, you know, environment, the actual living organisms, that kind of stuff. Right. But this is not a, a discussion of biology in general. It's a discussion of humans, right? So with that out of the way, health, performance, and nutrition, it's a bi-directional path. It affects everything. The health one, I think, is pretty easy to see. The performance one, again, I think it's pretty easy to see because there's, I, there are a few nuances to this. And again, I covered it in the, the article. Um, but it's, it's pretty easy to see that if you're not recovering, you're not going to have good training sessions, right? So that's that's a pretty obvious. However, what can happen is you have a poor night's sleep, you can actually have a, an increase in like glucocorticoids and, you know, we'll say stress hormones overall. And that can actually lead to a better performance in certain events. You know, generally like this would be like the, the lower rep ranges. Like people will go in and they'll be like, oh, I had shit, shit night's sleep. And then they went in and they hit a new three rep max you know um but that's not necessarily representative of the cumulative effect of reduced sleep and then also like their their ability to handle that stressor itself like they're probably going to have a reduced performance after that you know uh, personal record and also they're probably not going to be able to handle as much volume overall because of reduced sleep which is related to the fact that sleep basically gives you this kind of type 2 diabetes kind of phenotype in terms of like blood sugar regulation lipids that kind of stuff now it's not as severe as that well i'm sure in some individuals it is as severe as that but for the majority of people it's more like a uh, turning the dial like a a knob kind of turning the dial more towards that type 2 diabetes where you have dysregulated blood sugar you have dysregulated lipids like things are just going wrong wrong metabolically if you do lose out on sleep because again 
structures fall apart if you're if they're not being maintained and if you just go i didn't maintain these structures with the sleep that i was supposed to get like stuff falls apart now that does actually have some bearing on how we would deal with different things like i I went through it in a few in the articles in terms of like you can have poor sleep and then that can change like your ability to handle nutrients and and it could make sense to have a workout then or to perform a workout then to like you know effectively like get some glute four translocation and get some fucking glucose into the cell then and you know some some beneficial stuff from the workout however a lack of sleep also impacts your ability to perform and recover from like resistance training and stuff so that can lead to a situation where you know you're not actually as able to do something that would be beneficial for your health your blood glucose management etc you know and to just burn calories in general right um so it's a hard one. Again, I went in more depth into the articles. Um, so do read those. And just on the nutrition thing as well there as well, it does also tend to, or a lack of sleep does also tend to lead to a situation where you, even if you are the most adherent individual, you know, you track your calories, you do whatever, like adherence goes down. Because even though like this is a little bit beyond the scope of what the stuff that we should be talking about, although like I've actually studied this loads because it's what I did for my like dissertation in college. Um, but it does actually um influence a lot of like mood related stuff like you know it interacts with all the brain stuff even though again i know i have this gripe with the brain it does also interact with all these like mood regulation regulatory um neurotransmitters uh, and stuff and so like it does alter you as a person in terms of like your brain like the 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 thoughts that you have the the feelings that you have that kind of stuff and so even if you are the most adherent individual it a lack of sleep can make you less adherent in terms of you get not just like we'll say physiological stuff in terms of like the metabolic stuff, but also like we'll say psychological stuff that's being influenced by the, the physiological stuff that's happening in the brain. So that you're like, you start making these rational, you know, like logical. Yeah, of course I need more calories. I'm having poor, I had poor sleep. So I need to treat myself because, you know, I'm feeling a bit down, but it's like, yeah, this is all mediated from the lack of sleep, you know? Um, like there are like increased risk of like suicide and suicidal ideation and stuff like that from a lack of sleep. So again, like it's a little bit out of the, the scope of the stuff that we, you know, are probably uh, qualified to talk about. Um, but it is obviously a health related topic that does then transcend into the performance stuff and the nutrition stuff. Because again, like with the, new, the, the performance stuff, like if you're less likely to go to the gym because you're just like, I feel like shit and I don't want to fucking train, you know, like that's obviously not great for long-term progress. And then also if you do manage to go to the gym and then you're like, yeah, I had a shit session, not able to recover from it. Everything feels heavy. And you layer that on top of feeling shit going into the session. It's like, this is, this is a recipe for you to be like, I'm throwing in the towel on this workout program. Fuck it. Nothing ever works. I feel like crap. You know, like, like that's not a good position to be in. Right. Um, do you have anything else to add to that, Gary? Um, no, like the only, the only, well, the only thing I would add there, I guess, is, is the fact that like understanding that kind of cognitive, affective, emo- motivational inputs, emotional inputs, thinking about how they relate to sleep is actually something that's just really important when it comes to training, because what often happens is that someone will hear what we've just said that, you know, when you don't sleep enough, it then affects your training. And if you have that information available to you and you overweigh that information, then that actually leads to even worse outcomes because you then evaluate that information and say, oh, well, 
are now expecting to have poor performance or you feel more anxious because you haven't slept enough. And that then leads to worse performance because you're creating an overall worse environment for you to be able to go and train. And that can potentially then even compromise your sleep if you are getting super anxious about not sleeping. Um, so I guess the message is uh, don't worry, <laughs> but you know, that's easier said than done. But I would just say that, you know, we do actually see that in the research when people are kind of given information that's very catastrophic about how they've slept and how that's going to affect them, that they end up having worse outcomes than when they feel, you know, more positive about it and think that they slept well. So, you know, even if you do have a bad night of sleep, yeah, it's fine train away you're good yeah and this is actually something that i went into in those articles the one on performance and i I, I tried to keep that tone throughout the entire of the article series where it's like yeah like these are there's bad things that happen but like we're in control of a lot of this stuff so this is what you can do and that's especially true in the performance one the performance uh and sleep article and then also the article i wrote on like what to do if you do have a poor night's sleep right because again it's like how do you modify your training? How do you modify your diet? How do you do all that kind of stuff? Like, I feel like if you know what to do next, you don't catastrophize as much in terms of, you might be like, oh shit, there's all these bad things that can happen because of this, but it's like, oh, but I have a plan of action, right? But that's not something we're going to get into in this podcast. So if you are interested, do read those articles. Like, obviously we do want to have that same tone where it's like, yeah, bad things happen, but you know, you can do a lot. You're in charge of a lot. So, you know, control what you can control and, you know, kind of just forget about the rest of the stuff because it's outside of your control anyway, you know? Um, but yeah, so sleep has its tentacles, it's grubby little hands in fucking everything, right? So that's the, that's the first thing, right? The next thing then is, and we've said it a few times where it's like, you obviously need a certain amount of sleep and we just touched on that kind of Goldilocks zone. And this is actually, and I wrote a whole article on this and it basically boils down to you need seven to nine hours of sleep, right? Per night, right? And that's, you know, the generic across the board for everyone there's obviously a situation where some people are going to need less and some people are going to need more right however the vast majority of people listening to our stuff or who consume our stuff are probably going to fall onto the spectrum of needing more rather than needing less right and you might want to have less you might be like all right like i know me and you gary like we did a a good stint when we were starting triage and doing college and doing all our other bits where we were sleeping a lot less than would be ideal, you know? Um, but again, like there was a purpose to it and we don't definitely don't do that now and definitely wouldn't recommend that long-term. Um, like I wouldn't recommend it at all, really. Um, but again, like that's, that's the, that's the uh, situation we found ourselves in. But anyway, look, that's beside the point. Um, yeah, the majority of people are going to need at least eight hours of sleep that are listening to this anyway, or that, you know, read our content because you are likely engaging in exercise, you know, which increases your recovery demand. And as I said, like, I like to simplistically think of sleep as recovery time. And so if your recovery demand goes up and the average person, again, average is what we're saying, needs seven to nine hours, and you are doing something that is more recovery intensive than the average person is doing, i.e., you know, resistance training, doing sports, doing whatever, you're going to need more recovery time, not less recovery time than the average person, right? So you're probably in the higher end of the range, right? So of that seven to nine. But also on top of that, you probably have a job. You're probably doing, you know, maybe college, maybe doing continuous education, whatever, on top of your, your work as well, maybe, you know, like you, you have other stressors is what I'm saying. So your recovery demands are higher than the normal person. So therefore your sleep requirements are probably higher 
than the normal person, right? Does that mean that everyone needs to get 10 hours of sleep? No, as we said, like too much is also potentially bad, potentially associated with negatives and definitely associated with, we'll call them uh, psychosocial negatives in terms of you end up not talking to your friends because you're asleep half the time, you know? Um, and also you just end up not like being the, the best person you could be because you're like, all right, cool. I have eight hours of work you know, I work for eight hours a day and then it's like, all right, well, I have to do my hour commute each way. And it's like, there's no, there's no time left in the day then, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's, that is a situation that you can find yourself in if you do think, oh, I'm going to get 10 hours of sleep. Now, if you are an athlete listening to this and you're like, oh yeah, literally I do some resistance training in the morning and I then do my sports in the evening or whatever schedule you have. And you're like, I wonder if more sleep would benefit me. You know, realistically, it probably will. Like in terms of if you could get a nap in on top of that, you could get your eight hours of sleep and then a fucking, I don't know, two hour nap and still have good sleep that night. It's probably going to be beneficial. Like there's, there is research to support that for people that are, you know, in the very higher recovery demands in terms of like they're doing two per day training or, you know, they're, they're, they're sporting, they're, they're athletes, like doing like 20, 30 hours of, you know, effectively work for them, which is, you know, training. Um, like, yeah, your recovery demands are higher, you know? And this is also the case with stuff like laborers who are doing like, you know, very labor intensive jobs. Like they probably could do better with more sleep, you know? But again, it becomes a, a, an issue where, yeah, you could, you could do better with more sleep, but it's going to impact your life a bit more. Now that's fine if you're getting paid millions because you work in the NBA or something, you know, it's like, that's your sport. But for the average person where it's like, yeah, like you could probably do better with more sleep, it's probably going to impact your life a bit more. So where does that leave us with our recommendations? Seven to nine hours, right? So as I said, I wrote a whole article on this. There's lots of caveats and, you know, you can maneuver your way through it. Lots of situations that you could argue for more, you could argue for less. However, the vast majority of people are going to need seven to nine. And just finally on that, there are obviously outliers. However, everyone likes to assume that they are an outlier in the lower percentage in terms of their like, or the lower need for sleep. Like, oh, I can get rid of, I can get away with five. And you're like, you should think about that just as a, a thing where it's like, if everyone is an outlier one direction, you never see outliers in the other direction. It's like, that's something to start raising uh, alarm bells. And also, if you are a true outlier, that is something that you would have experienced throughout your life, right? Or at least it would have occurred uh, at puberty, right? It might be hormonally mediated. There might be changes there that you interact with systems. Like there are the two times, unless you are a child and you're like, yeah, I only need six hours of sleep, right? Or like, obviously there's different amounts of sleep throughout your lifespan. But if you were always like, oh, I needed two hours less sleep than my peers of a similar age, we'll say, right? Unless that was something that continued through your lifespan it was like whatever kids need was we'll say 12 hours of sleep per night you know they have actually huge demands for sleep you know um but we'll say that's 12 and you were just always like i only needed 10 right and then as i got lowered it's like everyone else needed eight and you only needed six you know like if that was the case throughout your whole life yeah cool you're an outlier great happy days maybe again it could have been a fact that you know again it could be hormonally mediated you hit 12 13 14 whatever and you're like all of a sudden you're like i only need five hours of sleep again cool i could get down with that but if you are genuinely 18 years old or 20 years old or in your 20s, whatever, and you just assume you're an outlier because you just started sleeping five hours per night, like that, you're not an outlier. That's just something you're doing to yourself. Would you agree, Gary? Yeah, I would. And I mean, I found myself in those kind of um, thought cycles in the past where, you know, I've, I was, I've said to myself, oh, it's fine. You know, I'm just one of those people. I only need six hours or whatever. And the difficulty, the difficulty with this is that 
the mo- when you are the more sleep deprived you become the less able you are to actually interpret it or you know realize that you are sleep deprived and it's actually a conversation i have very regularly with clients who tend to undersleep like like let's say they're chronically getting six hours a night or so and they they'll say you know oh no it's fine i feel great you know actually i just feel this is my normal i feel good um but they don't know what it's like to feel to sleep eight to nine hours per night anymore they don't know what it feels like that's that is their baseline and you do tend to see that in the research as well that people do people think that they're six hour sleepers that they're perfectly fine that they feel great when in fact they're they feel much better when they do actually adapt again to sleeping longer for longer and the reason that people can you know struggle with interpreting that is because what might happen is that they have their six hour routine going consistently they're doing that all the time and then they have one night where they sleep in for like nine hours and they wake up the next day and they're wrecked they're destroyed they're flattened because they're getting up at a different time they've just slept for longer maybe they've woken with an alarm they normally don't or they've woken without an alarm they normally do whatever it is um and you can you can almost feel like a sense of rebound fatigue when you have that one night of really long sleep so what i tend to say to people is that when we're going with prolonging our sleep let's try and aim for a a time that's achievable and you know nudge it up then and do it consistently because that's when you start to feel the difference because you you generally won't feel it if you just sleep well uh, for one night and that can sometimes lead to the concept of social jet lag as well which i think was mentioned in paddy's articles too um so yeah, just just note that you might think you're an outlier, you might feel like you're an outlier, but give it give it two weeks of sleeping longer to see if you really are. And I mean, with that said, look, personally, I know I don't sleep enough all the time. And I know that given the next, I don't know, 10 years of my life, I'll probably not sleep well for most of that 10 years. And you kind of have to just again it comes back to something we touch on in most of in so many of our podcasts and it's like you know know what trade-offs you're willing to accept for the life that you want to live and if you're an athlete or you're someone that's listening to this with serious physical training goals like you want to make the most of that then i would be not even thinking about the bottom range of seven to nine i'd be thinking eight to nine because you do see that you know in the research when people even extend their sleep within that boundary of the seven to nine hour window and adding an extra sleep cycle go from seven to eight and a half you do see improvements in performance even within that range so i would be aiming higher if it was a, a big priority um, for me and my life permitted me doing so and this is just one this is actually what i wanted to go on to next in terms of this is one of the issues with it in terms of it, it doesn't scale linearly right because the sleep you do at the start of sleep in terms of you go to sleep for your eight hours the, the start of your sleep like say this first half that's more beneficial sleep in terms of like you're getting into deeper phases like phases of sleep REM sleep whatever right again it went in, it went in depth in, in the article I'm not going to do it here <laughs> but you're getting better sleep you're getting deeper sleep more restorative sleep in the earlier stages and then you get effectively less restorative sleep as the the, the sleep goes on that's not to say it's not beneficial sleep right but as a result, it doesn't necessarily scale linearly in terms of when you start dropping off sleep, right? So you get six hours of sleep per night, for example, right? Rather than the eight hours that your body wants. And sleep cycles are generally in that kind of, we'll say 90 minute uh, framework, right? So you lose the last sleep cycle, right? That's only going to result in like a we'll say five, 10% reduction in performance, you know, health metrics, whatever, right? So it's not a huge thing. It's not like you missed out on the second sleep cycle, which is giving you like 
40% of the benefits, you know? Um, Cause obviously we're talking about sleep here and you could have situations where, you know, you're waking up multiple times per night or you're having like broken sleep and like, there's a load of stuff that can happen. And again, in the articles, we can't cover everything here. Right. Um, but uh, like, obviously there's different things that can be associated with when we say sleep disturbances. Um, but that, that is a situation where it, again, it feels like you haven't missed out on much if you are just getting up earlier where it's like, oh yeah, I, cool, I, I'm only getting six hours of sleep. So you miss out on the last sleep cycle, for example, right? And you're like, oh, cool, I feel a little bit down, but it's not such a huge like de- degrade, degradation of your day-to-day living that you're like, it's not like, it's not, it doesn't matter, you know? And again, that can compound over time where you've only been losing out on like 5% per day. But it's like, yeah, that's still cumulative over time. Right. It's not just like it's a complete reset every single night. It's like, yeah, again, going back to that kind of maintenance analogy, it's like, yeah, we we ninety-five percent maintained this wall or structure or whatever it is. And it's like the next day it's like, yeah, we got to ninety-five, but that's not ninety the same ninety-five. It's like, no, that's ninety-five of ninety-five. Right. And it's just this ever so slow like uh continuation into getting worse and worse. Like the wall starts falling apart a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. But that also means that it's going to take some time to get back to that a hundred percent performance, you know, like that hundred percent wall. It's like, you still have to rebuild all that stuff that you effectively didn't maintain over the last while, you know? So this stuff is, it's hard to interpret yourself. Right. And that, I don't mean that like, Oh, you should come to us. We'll be able to do it for you. I just mean that it's like, it's hard to have an objective eye on this stuff when you are in it yourself. Right. So just make as informed decisions as you possibly can. And I would err on the side of needing more sleep than needing less sleep. Like there are things that interact with it. Like for example, say you're in a calorie deficit, you might be like, all right, cool. I actually only need seven hours of sleep. That's not necessarily the case. That might just be that the stuff that you are doing outside of sleep, which are nutrition, whatever else, um, might be leading to a situation where you're not actually able to get enough sleep that you would actually benefit from because, you know, I don't know, glucocorticoids are higher, you know, cortisol levels are higher. And it's like, yeah, you probably could benefit from more, but the body is also then doing this cost benefit analysis where it's like, yeah, we could probably benefit from more sleep, but you know what we could benefit from more? more food so it's then increasing you know these stress hormones and whatever else to kind of get you to go out and be more wakeful so that you can forage and that you can you know find food and that you can eat food you know and this is again why you start getting these like extra cravings and stuff when you do have sleep deprivation again it's all mediated like evolutionarily if you want to think of it like that where it's like if your body is in the situation where it feels like it's, it's not getting enough recovery from sleep. It's going to then get the recovery from food, you know? So there's all these evolutionary arguments that we could go, go down and go down these rabbit holes on. But again, explaining the articles, I went in more depth into them, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> right. So anyway, to wrap that up seven to nine hours per night, get it easy. Right now we've mentioned a few things that go into sleep regulation. And that's the final thing I want to touch on before we actually get into like how you can improve your sleep, because you have to understand sleep regulation to actually then be able to improve your sleep. Now, sleep regulation is actually a very complex thing. And there's stuff that's going on, like we said earlier on in the body, and there's stuff that's going on in the brain. And there's stuff that's going on that 
we have no idea what the fuck is going on. Like the, it's like, oh yeah, this, this neurotransmitter or whatever seems to interact here. Like for example, I think it was GABA I went into and it's like, like, I don't think like oral GABA, like you take GABA, the, the, the neurotransmitter, like uh, I don't think that crosses the blood brain barrier all that effectively. Right. But it still seems to have these effects on improving sleep, you know? And it's like, so it's not acting in the brain but where we think it would naturally act um, for, for sleep regulation. And it's like, okay, where is this acting? You know, but it's like, okay, so maybe it's acting on like the, the, the gut nervous system and it's doing stuff there, which is then mediating other stuff. But again, like we don't have all of the answers. So don't, don't think that we do. However, we do have a pretty good idea in terms of sleep regulation in a, a few areas, right? And the, the main players seem to be, um, we'll call it circadian rhythm and sleep drive, right? And we touched on a few things with circadian rhythm, but we didn't really touch on much with sleep drive. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But with circadian rhythm, there's a few things that again, are main players within that. So circadian is just like um, circa day, like as in like, oh, it's circa around day, right? That's, that's basically the translation, right? So it's around the day cycle right? Uh, or around the day rhythm. So you basically have light cycles, you have dark cycles. That's how the earth works. I don't know if you've realized that on the however long you've been on the earth, but that's how the earth works. You know, the, the sun travels around the earth. You know you like area. Yeah, I heard that once or twice in primary school. Yeah, it's good. Like, um, But yeah, anyway, so obviously the earth travels around the sun. And as a result, we have these day and night cycles, right? And basically, your brain, and we can, again, we went into it in the article and we touched on it there a second ago with the, the SCN, the supercosmetic nucleus and all that kind of stuff. But basically you have this clock in your brain, right? It's not a real clock, but it effectively acts like a clock, right? And what do you have to do with clocks? You have to set them to a time, right? And your brain realizes that and goes, okay, cool. I have to set this clock to a time. And how it sets this clock to a time, it goes to the day cycle, right? And the, it's pretty straightforward how it does that. It's like, well, it's not actually pretty straightforward how it does that. It's pretty straightforward why it does that. Um, but the actual how is, is pretty complex. But again, the why in terms of why it does it, it's like, okay, cool. Like you are better able to hunt, forage, do whatever during the day. We're not nocturnal animals, right? So it's like, yeah, we want to be more wakeful during the day and more asleep during the night, right? So it's a pretty beneficial idea to know what time it is, right? So your body uses light, to sync to the day, right? And again, this is pretty intuitive. And I went in, in the article, like, how would you do this to yourself? If you just woke up, right? I don't know, I captured you, blindfolded you, fucking did whatever, and put you in a dark room, right? And you just woke up, had no idea where you were, right? Absolutely no idea, right? And you were like, what time is it? Like, what's going on? The first thing you would do to orientate yourself is to like, look out the window, and, you know, see what the, the, the sun is like, you know, like, is it bright out? Is it the day? Out? Is it the, is it the night? Right. So it's the same concept. It's pretty intuitive. It's like your body uses light to tell the time of day. Right. And again, it's less intuitive in terms of the actual mechanism of that, but going into it is like when the light hits the atmosphere at different angles, different wavelengths of light are more apparent, more or less apparent. Right. And blue light, when it's more overhead, like that's, it's more, that's the spectrum that gets true more. Um, and then as the, the, the sun goes down on the horizon, you get more red light going through and less blue light going through. Well, I shouldn't say you get more red light. You just get less blue light, right? 
and that's why you get like these really nice sunrises and sunsets that are like reds and purples and whatever else it's just the angle of those wavelengths of light going through the atmosphere anyway um but anyway so your your eyes effectively translate or transmit that blue light exposure to your brain through the optic nerve through all that fucking shit um true to the the SCN, the supercosmetic nucleus, which then interprets that and goes, yes, it's four o'clock. You know, like it literally is like, this is the time of day based on the amount of blue light exposure. And then it signals to the pineal gland, should you or should you not release melatonin or regulates how much you're going to release, right? So is that a, an okay description of what's going on? Do you think that needs more or less? No, it sounds good to me pretty straightforward in terms of it's actually not pretty straightforward but just as a general overview that's pretty much what happens right um so then you get melatonin synthesis or you know it starts synthesizing and again then that's what is used to effectively signal sleep right that's one of the the signals for sleep this melatonin synthesis and again it's released crosses the blood brain barrier released into bloodstream has effects all over the body now Two things to that. Basically, that SCN, that supercosmetic nucleus, that is basically the master clock, right? But it's not the only clock. Like you have melanopsin on your skin, right? And melanopsin is again the same opsin, the same thing, like in your in your eyes that's interpreting the light. You still have those in your skin and other organs and you know all that kind of stuff, right? Like all over your body and tissues that you wouldn't ex- expect because this is something that again you don't you don't really think about, but it is actually true. And that is that light actually does penetrate into your body right? And when you think about this, like it, it does make sense. Like if you hold the light up to your thumb or something, like you can see the, the red light going through uh, to the other side and, and like it physically goes through your skin, right? So you have actually experienced this before, but effectively like your, your body is made up of atoms and there is actually more space between those atoms than there is atoms, right? So you are actually more nothing. And I say nothing in inverted commas because it's not actually true. You are more nothing than you are an actual like solid thing. Like this is not like I clap my hands and atoms are hitting off each other. It's like a lot of space is hitting off each other as well. Now that's not really true. Uh, that's what, like, that would be a superficial understanding of like matter. Realistically, you do have forces and that's, they are effectively matter. And um, like, that's, that's a poor description of it, but I'm not going to get into physics here. Um, but basically you also have forces, right? So they do interact with all the other stuff. But on top of that, wavelengths of light can actually penetrate your skin, can go in between the spaces of these atoms and can effectively get into the internal organs of your body, et cetera, right? And obviously different wavelengths of light are better or worse at being able to do this, you know, because again, they're wavelengths. Um, But anyway, so there are melanopsins across your skin. So there's stuff going on all across your body. Your whole body is able to sense what time it is. And again, this makes sense when we consider that we're supposed to be animals that are out in the, the sun, whatever else, right? Like that's, that's something that's important, you know, to be able to, you lose your eyes, you're still able to have some sort of recognition of the day light cycle. That is something that, again, I covered in the, the article, um, but that is a problem when people do lose their eyes, they're not able to actually really effectively sync to this circadian rhythm, right? And that's not necessarily always the case if you're just blind, because you might have some parts of the optic system still working and you're able to still see like certain light like say for example like some blind people are still able to like if i was to pretend to throw a fist at them like they're still able to actually respond to that like they're still able to kind of like dodge and they they react to that even though if you ask them what did you see they'd be like i didn't see anything you know it's like the the brain is still interpreting signals it's still getting you know wavelengths of light anyway that's a totally different discussion (laughs) um but uh 
so that that like that that stuff does all go on and also it is important to understand that there's stuff that's outside of the body still regulating this stuff that is still responding to light signals right and again there's there's different we'll call them uh clocks that's an easy analogy and in all these other organs and systems like your liver and heart and all this kind of stuff and effectively they're all being regulated using uh, we'll call them pacer cells right and these are all being then regulated by hormones or neurotransmitters that depends on where it is and they're basically being regulated by some sort of signaling molecule could be a peptide could be a hormone could be fucking anything right and but they're being regulated these pacer cells and then they're then setting the pace trying to tell that organ or system or whatever that it is a certain time right and that can be mediated by the the input that those organs or systems or whatever are getting themselves right and this is especially true as you get into this kind of chrononutrition stuff which again you did a fantastic podcast with alan about and so like that they can still be getting those signals from food for example like especially liver different things like that and which then might interact with the other inputs that they're getting and but with all that in mind like we were discussing at the start of this the, the master regulator does seem to be that SCN, that super cosmetic nucleus. Um, and that's the one that's kind of like a stronger signal. All the other clocks are trying to set their time to that time, right? Basically, your body has gone, cool, the, you're the best one that we have, the eyes. Like the eyes are the, the best one that we have for telling the daytime. So let's use them to set the time, right? And then all the other tissues and organs and systems or whatever else are like being signaled by that master clock to be at a set, set time right and um, it's it's almost like you know you have these old wind up clocks i don't know if anyone's ever had them like a watch and you have to wind it up and um, and it's basically like we all set our watch at the same time at the start of the day you know it's like cool but you didn't wind yours up as much as i wind, wound mine up and like, we have different battery levels and whatever else and they effectively all get off track a little bit right so we all come back then at seven or whatever by the master clock and you over there you're at five and you over there you're two hours ahead and like different they're all different times right so it's like every single day these have to be reset to the perfect time right and and even then it's like it's not perfect time because and again we'll get into it you have stuff like we're like blue light in front of you uh, and this is something that your eyes are then interpreting as daytime when if i was to actually look outside like it's been it's seven o'clock now and as we were saying earlier on it's basically been dark since half three you know so it's like like there, there are different inputs and we effect, effectively trick our body but we'll get into that in a second right but anyway that's circadian rhythm there is actually more to it because it's not just as simple as like oh light is media like light, light is doing this stuff that then signals other things that are then acting as circadian uh, syncing events. Like there's actually a really good book on like synchronicity in general. Uh, it's by Stephen Stro- Strogratz um, it's called sync. Um, I believe um, that's actually a really good book in terms of you actually want to listen to all this stuff. Like he goes into even like pacer cells, which are actually really important beyond this discussion of sleep for like your heart beating regularly. Like it uses pacer cells, you know? So it's like, how do these things like sync up? Right. It's actually a really, really good book. I think I read it about fucking five years ago. Um, but it's actually one that's, I'm like, I actually want to read that again because uh, it's actually really good. I actually really like Stephen Strogratz. His other book chaos. is also fantastic. Um, but that's, that's more physics than it is like biology. But anyway, like that's beside the, the, the point, but, <clears throat> um, yeah, there are, there are other things that are then being mediated or being set to this schedule that the supercosmatic nucleus and then the pineal gland, et cetera, are all mediate or signaling. And that involves like, say, body temperature and cortisol, right? And body temperature, like cortisol is pretty <clears throat> understandable in terms of like, it's a, uh, we'll call it a stress hormone. So it's going to mediate 
you being more awake. If you're more like, oh, I'm wired. Like you don't want to have high cortisol when you're trying to sleep. Like you don't want to be stressed and wired when you're like, I just want to lie down and go to sleep. Like that's obviously antagonistic. So you, you can see how those two things would be synced up, right? It's like, this is when we want to have high cortisol or, you know, normal cortisol. And this is when we want to have lower levels of cortisol. And that does interact with other systems. Like you start getting these like glucocorticoid um, cortisol and stuff and uh, secretion in response to like your diet, you know, you're not eating enough close to bed or you're not eating enough in general. And all of a sudden you wake up at 2 AM then because you're getting this rise in cortisol, you know? And again, obviously this can be like stress management stuff as well. There's a whole host of stuff, right? But that is one of the things that, it falls into this broader category of circadian rhythms, right? The next thing then is body temperature, which again, it, it makes sense because obviously that's to an extent uh, mediated by cortisol, but also it's like, if you were to be outside where humans evolved, like the, the day is generally warmer than the night, right? So even if you didn't have eyes, you could still get an idea of what time of day it was based on how warm it is. Right. So again, evolutionarily, it makes sense how that would also be used as some sort of signaling for sleep, you know? And like, again, like it's like 12 o'clock in the mid, like midday, it's like, that's probably going to be the warmest part of the day when the sun is directly overhead. Obviously this depends on where you live, et cetera. And if they are doing fucking daylight savings or not. Um, but again, it, you know, it, it makes sense um, that you, your body would use body temperature as something that it would sink then other systems too, because again, it's able to tell you the, the, the time of day effectively, right? Um, so that's a circadian rhythm. We'll go on to sleep drive, but do you have anything else to add for circadian rhythm, Gary? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that covers it. Yeah, that, it's pretty important to understand the circadian rhythm because that's actually a lot of the stuff that we can do. Like we can manage that stuff a, a lot. Uh, um, in terms of actually getting better sleep, which is what we'll get onto, right? The other one then is sleep drive, um, which is, it becomes more important the less you listen to circadian rhythm, right? And what I mean by that is like, there's, I'm not going to get into the actual like regulation, the mechanistic stuff. Um, like it is, it's fairly complex, but um, like adenosine is at play, which does come into account when we're talking about stimulants and stuff like that, especially like caffeine, but it's, irre it's irrelevant for an actual overview understanding. Again, if you want further details, read the articles. Um, but uh, sleep drive, it, it, it's to describe it basically, like if you were to just not listen to your circadian rhythm where it's like, oh yeah, eight o'clock, you start getting tired and go to bed, right? That's your, your, your circadian rhythm is signaling that, right? And you just grin and bear it. You go, I'm not going to go to sleep right? At a certain point, you'll start getting more and more tired as the more hours you are awake, right? And that's effectively your, your drive to go to sleep, right? So you can not listen to circadian rhythm and like trick yourself into not listening to it and like do stuff, even like expose yourself to blue light and do all that kind of stuff. But sleep drive will make you go to sleep then after that, right? So like the, again, it's, it's regulated by different things, you know, which has to do with like energy regulation, energy homeostasis, et cetera. But basically just realize that there's two things and sleep drive on a normal day is less important than circadian rhythms. However, the, the less you listen to circadian rhythms, the more sleep drive becomes important. And even on a day-to-day -day, uh, scale, even though I'm saying it's less important, it is still important to 
listen to or it is still important to consider because there are in, there are stuff that we can do on a day-to-day basis that does actually interact with that namely you know caffeine intake um but yeah i actually don't want to get too much into that unless you want to cover anything on that gary it's it's pretty straightforward like you have a higher drive to sleep the longer you stay awake it's pretty straightforward yeah it's, it's one of the more intuitive concepts because everyone has actually felt it like you know from your lived experience that if you stay awake you will be more tired Simple as that. It's pretty straightforward, you know? Um, again, like it's, it's complexly regulated. Yeah. <laughs> Articles, read them. <laughs> um, right. So that's, that's a lot, right? Now, we could stop there and be like, oh, let's do another podcast on like how to improve sleep. But I don't actually think we need to do that, even though this one has been going on for an hour or so. Um, this, the actual ways to deal with this, it's pretty straightforward and we can kind of run through them because I actually have an entire article elaborating on these what to do in terms of why it works what system it interacts with etc right so you happy enough to just fly through these gary and give the people what they want and tell them how to improve their sleep yes sir let's go right so this is what you can do to improve your sleep now obviously again i've said there's articles read them below there's specific situations like i literally went into about four different like a uh, circadian rhythm disorders um in terms of well, actually, I went into more um, in terms of like situations like shift work, jet lag, like CRSD, like actual, you know, uh, circadian rhythm uh, affected diseases um, or disorders. Um, so I, I went into a lot more detail on actual like specifics on different things. Right. So, again, if you have specifics, you can read those articles. Right. But apart from that. There is stuff that people can do on a day-to-day basis to actually improve their sleep. The first one is like, just track your sleep, right? And what I mean by this is like, not just like, oh, track it. Oh, I went, I'm going to go to sleep at 11 and I'm going to wake up at seven, right? That's not tracking your sleep. Like you want to actually be able to have some sort of objective metrics in terms of uh, knowing whether uh, things are improving or not improving, or, you know, whether you're waking twice per night or three times per night, four times per night, you, you want to have some sort of data to go on. You also want to have a better understanding of how much time you're actually sleeping because what can happen is you can go, oh yeah, I'm down, I'm sleeping, I'm on my bed for eight hours, but you actually only sleep six of those, right? And um, because this is something that happens quite a lot where people are actually sitting in bed or lying in bed, still awake, you know, but not actually sleeping, right? Now there's multiple ways you can track this. There's phone apps, there's watches, there's rings, whatever. I actually don't really care how you track it. I actually think they're all pretty shit, right? In terms of the actual, the, the data you can glean from them. However, that's not what we want it for. Like the actual, we'll say, uh, <clears throat> accuracy or pre- precision. What am I even looking for? I don't really care how accurate the data is, right? But what I want it to be is precise. I want it to be something that we can use to then improve upon, right? Um, so it doesn't matter if it's a shit, like just app. It, it'll still give us data that we can actually use, right? And um, because like, we, like Gary, you said it before, where like you'll use your watch or something and like you'll just be lying there and you'll still be awake. And it'll be like fast asleep, like deep sleep. And <laughs> you're like, I'm still awake here, you know? So they're not, they're not great, right? But it still gives us something to, to work on, right? And for this, this is eye-opening for a lot of people because they realize that they're doing stuff like, oh yeah, I'm getting eight hours of sleep. But realistically, they just have it marked down as eight hours of bedtime. Like they're actually in bed for eight hours. When in reality, it's like, you didn't get, it takes you an hour to get to sleep. Like your sleep latency is you know, quite high. Like for me, I know it takes me like three minutes to get to sleep. Like Gary, you can attest to this. Like I'll literally fucking put my head on the pillow and I'll be, I'll be gone to the world. You know? Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's a thing. Right. Um, so for me, like, I'm like, I could literally put down eight hours of sleep. I literally only need to put in eight hours of sleep and I'll just can't care. 
right? But for a lot of people, they sit there 15 minutes, 20 minutes goes by and they have to like, you know, wind down. If that's the case for you, you're going to have to add that time on to the sleep amount that you need. So if you're saying I need eight hours, that means that you have to schedule eight and a half hours to include your wind down time. You know, if you're going to sit there in bed and it takes you a while to actually fall asleep, it needs to be included. You can't just go, oh, eight hours and half an hour of that is wind down time effectively, you know, where it's like takes you that long to actually get to sleep, you know, so then you're only actually getting seven and a half hours of sleep, right? So that's important to understand. And really, you're only going to know that if you do start tracking your sleep, you know, and again, I'm not someone that is like really anal about this stuff in terms of, oh, yeah, I need to be keeping a spreadsheet of this stuff, whatever, but you just want to have some objective data so that when you start tweaking some other things, you can be like, okay, I'm actually seeing some benefit from this, you know, rather than just doing stuff, spending a load of money on whatever else. And it's like, this is doing nothing, you know, because especially if you're going in like the, the sleep supplement route, um, they might just give you like lower feelings of anxiety or something, or, you know, they might give you like a mood boost and you're like, oh yeah, I feel so much better. And it's like, yeah, but that's, it's not actually improving your sleep, you know, like they're like, yeah, okay, cool. You feel better. And that's, that's good in and of itself. But we're trying to improve sleep here, you know? So I think tracking sleep is the, the first step, right? And again, you don't need to be anal about this. You don't need to be like spreadsheets, whatever else. You just need some data that you can look back on and be like, yeah, cool. I'm actually getting improved sleep now. Great, right? I also do think on that, that your lived experience is still very important because I don't care if your sleep app or your fucking whatever it is, is like, oh, you had a terrible sleep tonight. You should hang back on training. You should not train today or you should do a light session. Man, if you wake up after that and you're like, I feel fucking phenomenal. I'm like, I'm more inclined to believe you rather than this, you know, AI, right? And like, we, th- we think of like, oh, robots are going to rule the world. I'm like, okay, well, let's stop that and stop making them rule the world by just automating all of our fucking lived experience where it's like, oh, I'll let an algorithm decide what I see. Oh, I'll let a, an app tell me if I'm ready to train or not today. I'm like, if you can still, you should be able to have like subjective and objective data and make an, an educated decision. But anyway, that's an aside, right? So track your sleep. You agree with that, Gary? Yeah. Just a, a quick note there. Like, because um, like one of the things I, I look at as it relates to my sleep, well, first and foremost, like if you're waking throughout the night multiple times, like that's always a red, a red flag for me because um, as, as we, we, we didn't actually discuss it in any great detail, but, but sleep is, is fundamentally a phasic process. Like Paddy already mentioned that generally what happens is you get more of the non-REM, non-rapid eye movement sleep um, or slow wave sleep earlier on in the night. And then you get more of the REM or rapid eye movement sleep um, later uh, on in the night, it, get, it gets a bit longer. So there's some differences between the different cycles, but within a given cycle, you basically got, and there's, there's some debate here, but you've got like, phase, you've basically got phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four of your non-REM sleep. Phase three and phase four, phase four are basically your kind of slow wave sleep. That's where you're in your deepest phase um, of sleep where your body's effectively the most relaxed, your heart rate is going to be the lowest and is generally associated or is thought to be more related to the kind of um, physical repair components um, of sleep. And then you've got your REM sleep, which is basically where your body is more or less awake. So you're inhibited in the sense that like, yeah, you're asleep, but your eyes are basically rapidly jerking, hence the name rapid eye movement. Um, And you've also got elevations in heart rate, your breathing rate's going to be up. That's when you're going to have an erection. Um, So so it's basically like a phase of sleep where you're awake, everything's running really quickly. So that those those kind of fundamental different those fundamental those phases 
or what we mean when we talk about the, the phrase sleep quality. So if you're, if you're not getting uh, deep sleep, then you're not going to get into those phases three and four. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the things I do to see how I've slept is when I wake up in the morning, I look at my resting heart rate because my watch gives me like what my heart rate was over the last four hours. And one of the things I see is that, you know, the expectation would be your heart rate's going to be really low in that kind of phase three and phase four um, of non-REM sleep. And what tends to happen to me is if I, let's say, have a couple of drinks or I have too much food um, close to bed, that's a big one for me. It really, really affects my sleep. I know it doesn't affect yours, Paddy, but for me, like eating before bed kills my sleep. Um, and what I'll see is that my heart rate just won't drop b- b- below like 50, um, which is which would be expected for me um, if I have like a big meal before bed. Whereas what I want to see in the mornings is that I, I'm seeing like 30s or 40s um, when I'm in that those slow phases of sleep. So there are some things that I look at. But again, don't just think, oh, I need to get into the 30s and 40s. Look at how your resting heart rate is uh, for you relative to your normal. And that can give you some indication because what you will see, and it's kind of scary if you're someone who's into drinking alcohol um, and that'll obviously come up in this sleep quality discussion but you'll just see your heart rate like in the 70s 80s 90s even while you're sleeping after alcohol and that's just a bit of a disaster really so um, they're they're just some notes so think about the the heart rate and if you can measure your heart rate during sleep that's fine Um, as it is you don't necessarily need to track each of these individual phases and then also just remember that if you are waking throughout the night you are disrupting those cycles Um, And what might happen is you could wake up, let's say, during phase two um, of that of that sleep. And then when you go back to sleep, it's not a case of just falling back into where where you were. You're kind of starting again. uh, So you're not necessarily getting all of the restorative benefits if you are waking repeatedly throughout the night. Yeah, and this is actually really important because, again, like this is an individual thing. Like your experience of sleep is going to be different than the next person's experience of sleep and how their body responds to it, what they notice. And this, again, why I say tracking. Like you don't need to be anal about it, but you need to be able to know your own trends and what to see when you do different things, what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and then you know adjust according. Like if Gary was like, yeah, I need to really be on top of this, like he would avoid doing the stuff that he knows impacts negatively on his sleep quality. But also on that, like the sleep quality thing, this is also something which is actually another discussion, um, which is the next article series that I'm going to start writing, um, which is on stress. And like stress is actually related to this because and like in, in a variety of ways and somewhat mediated through cortisol and whatever else, but like you can get very poor quality sleep and never actually get into those deeper phases of sleep because you are a more stressed individual. Like you're not able to get your heart rate down to those lower levels because you just have a higher level of like excitatory neurotransmitters or, you know, glucocorticoids or whatever else circulating in the body. Now, again, to get to that stage, like you have to be a very stressed individual, but this is something that certain individuals do notice. And and I don't know if it's like, I've looked at some of the data and I'm not, I'm not impressed by either collection in terms of this is something that women seem to experience a lot more than men in terms of like they don't get deeper sleep right and i don't know if that's just um uh a bias i've experienced because the research seems to show it's like oh women actually get higher quality sleep than men 
right? But again, it's like, you have to look at the populations we're looking at, like perhaps they're including men that are like 40, 50, but also overweight and as a result have like sleep apnea and stuff like that. So if we're talking about like two healthy individuals, in my experience, women seem to get lower quality sleep than men because, and this is somewhat mediated through stress, like they're just more stressed than men are, right? But again, like don't quote me on that stuff. As I said, I'm not overly impressed with my thoughts on this and i'm also not overly impressed with the research on this in terms of actually digging deeper into it so that's why i didn't really include it in the article series like i briefly mentioned something along the lines but again like i did i did quote some of the research as well um but again it's it's one of those things that tracking actually solves this because like realistically it doesn't matter what the average female experience is or the average male experience is all that matters is your individual experience and then how you can impact that with the choices that you make you know so looking at a population like obviously if we're giving population recommendations like we effectively are now we're going to look at population data but as an individual you have a lot more control over your individual data and what you can do from that so anyway track your sleep use an app use a ring use a fucking watch whatever there's multiple ways like you don't have to spend an arm and a leg you don't have to buy like a 300 euro apple watch or whatever they cost and you can literally just download an app and you know it's not as effective it's just going on sound or whatever and obviously it's going to be disrupted if you have a partner in the bed with you and again i went into some stuff on that in the article series um but again it's we're just using it for some sort of data right and then the next thing then is and i touched on it a little bit with that last bit is you know wind down time and creating some sort of sleep ritual right and this is effectively like we'll say the 30 minutes to an hour before bed and what are you doing in that time to actually encourage sleep because effectively what most people do is i'll just watch tv which is they're blasting themselves with a load of blue light they're blasting themselves with like something that is you know probably um exciting like if they're i don't know watching an action film or something it's like this is not conducive to sleep it's not like a real like a uh, relaxed film and um, or if you're watching some like i don't know scary film or something like that like it's not it's not conducive to good quality sleep right so again it could be part of your wind down routine but again it has to be conducive to good quality sleep which again you'd start seeing if you were tracking but again i went into the article i went into a lot a lot of things that you could do you can do journaling you can do you know meditation you can do you know lavender you can do like uh, showers you can time them so that you know you're having a, a better you know body temperature going to sleep there's fucking lots of stuff right but ultimately it's going to come down to an individual thing do a lot of things or a few things um that allow you to wind down and get better sleep right pretty straightforward. Do that to 30 minutes to an hour before bed. Happy days. Now, one of the big things that you can do, well, there's two big things and um, that you can do during this time. And the first is light exposure, as we just said, like that's one of the key drivers of the circadian rhythm. So light exposure is a pretty good idea to, we'll say, minimize in the hours leading to bed, but especially in the hour leading to bed, and especially of a blue light spectrum right? Like some people um, wear like blue light blocking glasses. Some people like to, you know, turn their phone onto night mode or whatever equivalent mode it is on your phone. Like all great things. There's like uh, programs if you have to use your computer late at night, like Flux and different things that take out the, the blue light from the screen. Like there's, there's loads of stuff that you can potentially use to get a lower blue light load. However, the most effective thing is to just turn off your lights, right? Or use as little light as possible to get the job done, right? What I mean by that is, you know, you could have like something like a salt lamp, which is like red light, you know, from most cases. And um, if that's all you need, like it's effectively like, we'll say mood lighting, you know, um, 
that's all you have rather than having the lights on overhead, you know, or I have like this ring in front of me, right? And um, like rather than that, have like a salt lamp, you know, it makes more sense, right? And um, reducing your phone use before bed, like it just makes sense, especially for the fact that that's effectively getting two things. Like it's generally excitatory, like you're watching like funny videos or, you know, especially at the time of this recording, you're looking at a little like politics and fucking whatever else. And like, as I was saying to Gary before this, like we basically have to listen to uh, election stuff and COVID stuff for the next four months. It's like, like that's not something that is beneficial right before bed to be looking at. Right. So it's like you get get on or just get rid of the phone the hour before bed. Like you just don't need it. Like, yeah, okay, maybe if you're, I don't know, texting your girlfriend or something, you're like, okay, I'm allowed to do that. Right. Um, but for most people, it's like you just don't need your phone. You're on fucking TikTok or something, like looking at memes, like, I don't know. You know, like it's just it's just not beneficial, right? So if you can reduce your use of the phone before bed, in the lead up to bed, have some sort of wind down time, reduce the the, the light exposure in the lead up to bed, it's a pretty good idea. Do you have anything else to say on that, Gary? Uh, no, I, I agree with all the above. And I would just say that, yeah, they, those things make a significant difference for me and are very much supported by the research, especially the phone stuff. The phone is a killer. Like, do not be staring at your phone in bed. It's, it's just an awful choice. Unless you're me, I still can go to sleep without it because I don't know. Obviously, I just need a lot of fucking sleep. <laughs> Every um, now and then, it's fine, you know. Like with that said, like if you need to, I don't know, you're just texting in bed, big deal. Like, but if it, if you if it if you're doing it all the time, like you're just scrolling social media, like you said, not only is it is it excitatory, not only is it exposing you to blue light, but it's also just giving you something to do instead of going to sleep, which is the big problem of you just lying there for three hours. Like, you know, just go to bed, man. Go to sleep. And which also then just on that as well, brings us to the next point, which is a big one is like stress management, especially in that hour before bed. It's like, like there's so many easy things that you can do that lead to a less stressed environment going into like this sleep session in terms of like, you can just write down your thoughts. Like if you're like, Oh, I need, I need to get this done tomorrow. I need to do this or whatever. It's like, just write those things down bullet points. They're out of your head. You don't have to worry about, Oh, maybe I'll forget this. Or maybe I have to like, it's like, no, you just wrote them all down. They're gone. You don't have to think about them. They're done. Right. So journaling is good for this kind of stuff, but just other stress management practices, you know, meditation, even something like foam rolling, stuff like that. All part of this kind of sleep ritual that you do before bed, where it's like, we do all this stuff. And then we're in a good position to actually get to sleep uh, because we've set this ritual. You know, it's like, this is the ritual I do before bed. It doesn't have to be extraordinary. Like I know we've, we've talked about like people having like these, you know, morning rituals where it's like, I have a dip in a, you know, a fucking Lotus bath and stuff like that. You're like, this, this is obviously recklessly like unrealistic for the average person, you know, yeah. oh, the 30 minutes to an hour before bed, like you can do stuff that's pretty straightforward to, get better sleep it's like yeah write down a few of your thoughts on a piece of paper so that you don't have to be thinking about them going like why did jane say this to me earlier on it's like yeah jane said this i think this done forget about it you know like you're not ruminating on it when you're trying to go to sleep so stress management stuff as i said this is the next article series so we'll probably do a stress thing in about fucking three or four months when i'm finished <laughs> that article series um but yeah stress management is a good idea right do you have anything else to add on stress management no, makes a big difference. Do it. There you go. Unreal, right? The next thing is set up your room for good sleep, right? And what I mean by this is like only use your bed for 
sleeping now i'm terrible for this at the moment because my bed is literally right there so i'll be working at my desk right here and i'll be like oh you know i could actually just easily do this uh, on my bed i'll lie down on my bed do my typing or whatever and i'm like this is just terrible for my sleep because then i started associating my bed with like work stuff or i end up lying in my bed for hours of the day especially now that covid is around where we're not allowed to leave our house um but it's like this is not good and a lot of people end up doing that after work they're watching tv or they're they're doing whatever in their bed like the only thing your bed should be for is sleep and sex right so they're the only two things that you should do in your bed and that just leads to a better sleep environment right and but on top of that you can have a better bed right and what i mean by that is like people just assume that like oh this type of bed works for me but it it might not like you can have a softer bed a harder bed a springier bed like a variety of different beds like you should figure out what works best for you what results in your best quality sleep and these days like you can get split mattresses so if your significant other likes a different type of bed that can be supported you know, um, like I'm, I'm serious. Like people are kind of go, oh, well, I like a harder bed, but my significant other likes a softer bed. It's like, cool, S- split mattress. There you go. <laughs> Done. Like you can do it. Like it's, it's, a, it's a thing these days. Like, I don't know why, but it is. Um, but uh, yeah, so get your bed sorted, get a good bed. Easy, right? The next thing then is like getting stuff like blackout blinds. So if you have light outside your house, like a, a street light or a lamp or whatever, like I live beside a, a, a school and they have like st- uh, floodlights. So they have those on during the, the actual term. Like they don't have them on now because there's no one in school. Um, but uh, like they're sometimes on until like 10 o'clock at night because they're like having like sports and stuff going on, right? Um, and they go straight into my window. So I just have blackout blinds. So you can kind of see them in the background here, right? So they stop all the light coming in right? And again, beneficial if we're talking about light exposure, reducing your sleep. And there's also hundreds of ways you can reduce your light exposure. Again, went into them in the article. And on top of that, then you can cool down your your room. That does seem to be, again, as I said earlier on, body temperature is associated with sleep uh, quality, etc. right? So cool down your room. That's a better thing. On top of that, have a better like sleep setup in terms of like if you know it's cold out, have a warmer bed. If you know it's warm out, have a cooler bed, like stuff like that. Like you, you always see this uh, in the run up to summer where like all of a sudden, well, especially in like Ireland and England where the, the summer kind of just hits us for a week. Like we basically get like two weeks of summer and then everyone's like, oh man, I had terrible sleep and fucking whatever else because no one has anything set up. Like they're still basically using these like winter duvets for their bed. And it's like, they're all fucking roasting, sweating bullets going into sleep where it's like, okay, cool. Like use a different blanket and all of a sudden you have better sleep, you know? So stuff like that or have your window open or whatever. Again, make the room temperature acceptable for your sleep. And again, you can use your tracking to see if things are improving or not improving. Right. Anything else to say on that, Gary? Uh, No. Well, actually one note on that would be to try and negotiate an appropriate uh, blanket with your significant other if you do sleep with someone like i sweat like an absolute animal so this is just a real a real challenge for me in my own life because i just i be i, I literally wake up in the middle of the night absolutely drenched like puddles so um yeah that's something i need to work on <laughs> also just get stronger especially in your sleep so that you can just pull the covers over if you need yeah. them. That's, that's always a good one you just throw the hips um, <laughs> 
Um, but anyway, other, other than that, there's a few other things that we can go on to. Uh, exercise. Exercise seems to be associated with better sleep. Now, there's multiple so much studies on this, and we were just talking about just before this podcast. Um, there's a load of things that you can actually do for this and start really getting into like timing your workouts. Like morning workouts seem to be the best for improving uh, sleep quality. Um, but again, there could, there could be reasons around why you wouldn't be able to do that in terms of work, bringing the kids to school, etc. Afternoon workouts then seem to be second best to that. Then third best to that is like workouts four hours before bed, right? And then the least effective for excuse me for improving sleep is working out just before bed, right? Now working out just before bed can leave some people feeling like oh I can't get to sleep, um, and obviously that's something that has to be dealt with on an individual basis and aligned with your schedule. And maybe that's the only time you can train, um, but ultimately even though that seems to be an increased sleep latency, like you're, it, it makes it harder for you to get to sleep. It doesn't seem to impact on sleep quality all that much. Like exercise in general seems to be beneficial for sleep quality, right? However, again, the closer you are exercising to sleep, the harder it's probably going to be for most people to get to sleep then after that, right? Um, and again, this is mediated by body temperature, cortisol, et cetera right um but exercise if you're not exercising you're, you're complaining about your sleep quality get exercising even if it's something like just you're going for walks now and you didn't before it's probably going to improve your sleep right anything else to say on that gary yeah yeah just just quickly noting like that it is so obvious like but i mean if you want to get to sleep like make yourself tired <laughs> like it's such an obvious point but i mean you, when you'll notice this the most is not necessarily after a hard gym session or whatever, but if you've been on like a, a big day out where you've done like loads of hiking and you went swimming in the sea, like those types of real active days out where like you're out for most of the day and you've just gotten so much like low level activity in, like that makes you sleep like an absolute baby. And people say it all the time, like, you know, you go for a long walk and you're like, God, I'll sleep like a baby after that. And you really do. So it's not just about your training. It's also about how active you are on average. And in general, like getting outside, um, is something that you might be about to mention this, like as it relates to light exposure, it's also important to get outside during the day to get that light when you want that it. That was something but, I should have mentioned in the light exposure thing, but it's mentioned in the article. If anything is missed out here, like it's in the fucking article. <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's all there, you know, there's so much more detail there, but, but yeah, it's, it's not just about like restricting light at night. It's also about getting light during the day. So if you can get exercise and you can also get it outside, like that's even better, you know? Yeah, like I remember when I was in America, I went on like a fucking 11 hour hike um, with my girlfriend. She nearly fucking died a few times, but it's fine. Um, but then after that, like I've never seen her sleep so like deeply, like she sleeps deeply enough, but she does definitely like wake up throughout the night. Um, but like in this area, like especially like there's, there's mountain lions and there was bears, you know? So she was a little bit more on edge. Like I sleep like a log either way. I'm like, look, what the fuck am I going to do if I get woke, woken up by a mountain lion anyway? I'm going to fucking die. So I might as well get good sleep, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, but after that 11 hour hike, man, she was just dust, didn't care about the fucking mountain lions, didn't care about the bears. Like she was like, yeah, give me that sweet, sweet sleep. Um, but anyway, um, the next thing then after that is manage pain. And this is somewhat related to exercise. And like, I feel like a bit of a dickhead for saying this, but I'm like, a lot of people's pain can be managed by exercise, right? <laughs> I don't mean that to like minimize people's lived experience in terms of like their experience of pain. Like as I, earlier on in the year, like I fucking did my spine in um, and obviously that was quite painful. But again, I, I managed that pain with 
movement. Um, and that is something that I think a lot of people could do well from. Like people literally like, oh man, my back is so bad. I haven't had great night's sleep in 10 years. And it's like, have you tried to fix the back pain? And they're like, no, I haven't done anything for it. You're like, like, that's obviously like getting stuff like that sorted is going to be more beneficial for your sleep than taking, I don't know, fucking sleep supplements or fucking whatever else. Right now, of course, not all pain can be managed by exercise. Not, not at all, but there are certain things. And Gary can speak to this a lot better than I can being a qualified physio and an unqualified doctor. Um, (laughs) but, uh, like this is something that's, it's a no brainer. It's like, okay, look, if you can't sleep because of pain, you know, get to sleep because you or sorry, manage your pain because that's going to allow you to get to sleep. You know, like I remember before, like I, I, uh, <clears throat> paralyzed my thumb <laughs> and, and every single time, like I basically couldn't move my thumb. I couldn't do that with my hand. Right. Um, and that actually, like every time I did that, it caused pain. Like I'm basically waving my hand here for the listeners and it caused pain. And I remember I would wake up during the night when I tried to like pull the covers over myself because I would effectively do that movement and I'd be like in pain and I would wake up then, you know? Um, so like I then managed that with exercise and fucking getting stronger in certain areas. Well, anyway, that's beside the point. Um, but uh, like stuff like that, it's like, like this, if, this, if that's the reason you can't sleep either soundly or you're not able to get to sleep, then dealing with it is obviously a fucking good idea. Would you agree, Gary? Yeah. And my own personal anecdote would be that I, when I, at the time I probably struggled the most with sleep was actually when I was 16 and I got my nipple pierced and it's probably the sorest experience of my life to be honest. <laughs> because every time I'd be asleep then and the sheets would like catch on it or something, I'd fucking wake up straight away. Uh, so yeah, one, don't get any stupid piercings or tattoos that are going to be <laughs> sore when you have freaking Gary, you, you were a real like hippie liberal back then. You had to get them for virtue signaling. I still am. I kind of wish I didn't take out my, my stretchers now, to be honest. And I also want to get some more tattoos. Um, but anyway, um, what I was going to say, yeah, so the, the pain the pain and sleep relationship is is a really difficult one because, like, especially if you're going to talk about, like, chronic pain, um, that is not necessarily something that we can just modify by strengthening up a certain tissue or whatever. You know, it's not like a hamstring strain. Uh, that's a really difficult one because you've you basically got an intersection at the, at the, the brain level, the neurobiology level of you if you sleep poorly um it can make your pain worse which can uh, and potentially make you more anxious and compromise your mood and the all of these things are, are interlinked together where you know not sleeping enough can make your pain worse and then your pain being worse can affect all the mood things and can also affect um your ability to get to sleep so it is a really difficult cycle um for people but regardless of where you are in that cycle like exercising is something that's really really beneficial and that's been demonstrated in you know people with um chronic pain and sleep disorders that you know people who do um engage in more activity do benefit from that because you can see how you're intervening to two different places like let's say you do have chronic chronic low back pain you've had low back pain for years like being more active and exercising even just generally it doesn't have to be 
back specific exercises tends to lead to improvements in pain. How significant that's going to be for a given individual will vary, of course, but it's also going to improve your sleep, which then affects your all the other factors that are interlinked with, with that. So regardless of where you are on that cycle, um, trying to exercise is always a good idea. Um, but but also just note that you know there are there are simpler things where Sometimes you might have a more acute injury, like let's say you've got elbow pain or whatever, and you might notice that you, when you roll over on it at night, that that causes, you know, that causes you pain and then causes you to wake up. So there are instances like that that are a bit more challenging. The same when it comes to like um, neck pain sometimes. If you've uh, got neck pain, uh, let's say you've just got a, a muscle strain or something, and when you roll over in your sleep and you turn your neck a certain way, that that then causes a lot of pain. They can be difficult things to deal with because you're, it's not necessarily within your control. But there are some cases where you can minimize the impact. It's totally dependent on the injury. Like for example, if you have um, a gluteus medius tendinopathy, one of the things you might be advised sometimes is to sleep with a pillow between your legs because it stops your legs moving in a certain way. But I'm not gonna go through every single example. I would just say that there are certain ways you can set up your bed and your pillows, etc., to sometimes reduce the chance that you're going to wake up with pain. Like if you did have neck pain and you notice when you roll over, it gets really sore. You could have like a triangular setup to your pillows so that you're less likely to be moving like that. Uh, but again, they're case by case considerations, but it's at least something that is worth thinking about. Yeah. Like I remember I, I one of the lads arm barred me um, like really aggressively, like it's, it's my fault because... I'm also very aggressive, but I anyway, <laughs> uh, really aggressively armored me and just like kind of hyperextended my elbow. And that for like a few weeks was at me, but I noticed it when I would be asleep and like, I, I, I'm very still when I, I sleep, like I don't really move around a huge amount, but like I'd move my arms and stuff and move the, the, the pillows or the covers or whatever. Um, and if I was lying on it for, uh, or not lying on it, but just had it in a position for a length of time, which again, I'm very still when I sleep. So like I would definitely have it in a certain position for a length of time. And there was no like movement through the elbow. Like I know then when I went to like extend the arm or bend the arm, like it caused pain. And then that kind of woke me up from my sleep, you know? So all I did was just put on a, an elbow sleeve thing, whatever you call it, neoprene, whatever. And I was like, yeah, cool. It's no factor because I just stopped moving my arm then. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, look, that's beside the point. We only have a few more. We're nearly there, Gary, nearly, nearly there. <laughs> Um, the next thing then is manage your body weight, right? And this is more so related to like sleep apnea and um, like higher body weights. And I say body weight because that encompasses both body fat and extra muscle um, like BMI effectively. Um, <clears throat> it's associated with sleep apnea, which I'm not going to get into because I wrote an entire article on that and you can read it if you want. But sleep apnea, no bueno for sleep and um, doesn't result in some, some good quality sleep. So one of the risk factors that's really easily modifiable is just your body weight and reduce it. If you have sleep apnea or you are at risk of sleep apnea generally tends to result in better sleep all around reducing your body weight, obviously to within a healthy range. I don't mean just like forever, like you get down to like 50 kilos, like Gary, um, like that's, that's obviously not beneficial for anything. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so that's, you don't have anything else to say on that. It's pretty straightforward. Like we could obviously dive deep on this and talk about all the inflammation from body fat and whatever else. Um, but again, I recovered in the, I covered it in the articles. It's pretty straightforward. Reduce your body weight and 
you get better sleep. And this again, unfortunately means that some people are probably going to have to lose some muscle because they have these huge, absolute fucking meat stacks for traps and neck muscles. And it's like, yeah, you can mess around with sleep or sorry, pillows and trying to get like four pillows to hopefully keep your head in a good position so that you can breathe. Um, but for a lot of people, it's just not going to happen. Right. So, uh, manage your body weight. That might mean that you have to lose body weight. Um, even if it is muscle, if you want to improve your sleep, maybe it's something you're willing to be okay with. Um, and also, and finally on that, some people just have sleep apnea, even if they don't have huge amounts of muscle, like they've fucking deviated septums, broken noses, fucking whatever else it can happen. You know, you can have thicker, like flaps of skin in your neck and stuff. Like, again, I wrote a whole article on it. It's pretty fucking in-depth. Um, read it if you care about sleep apnea. Anything else to say on that, Gary? Yeah, the, the only thing I would say is that sometimes the, the difficulty with weight management and all the metabolic consequences that come from that can be secondary to the sleep apnea as well. And what you do tend to see is that when people do get appropriate intervention, like with a CPAP, for example, uh, for sleep apnea, that you get fairly like impressive improvements in metabolic health just from improving the sleep. So it's not, it's not like the, the weight loss is the only option here. Like you can get this appropriately treated and have very beneficial outcomes from that. Um, there is a, I think the, the stock bang questionnaire is a validated questionnaire um, that, that allows you to kind of assess your risk of sleep apnea, whether or not it's something you should be screened for. And that's, you know, worth taking a look at. And it just so happens to be in the article that is linked. <laughs> um, yeah, there's also some other uh, questionnaires and stuff that you can get like uh, sleep quality and whatever else. And like Gary said, this stuff is generally bi-directional because as I said, sleep has its tentacles in every fucking thing. Um, but also it's affected by every fucking thing apparently. Um, so like, yeah. yeah um the next thing then is optimize your diet in general which we've talked about ad nauseum so we're not going to go into here um but specifically before bed and as gary said like this is a, a very individual thing like some people will like more carbs in the evening they find that that makes them sleep better and again we can get into mechanistic stuff about why that occurs did so in the article if you want to read that um but maybe that's something you want to try maybe that's not something you want to try maybe having food before bed is not as beneficial for you as it is for other people like i can i can literally eat a fucking twenty thousand calorie feast and go to sleep and literally notice no deviations in my sleep my heart rate still goes down to like 45 not as not as fit as gary um but you know like it doesn't it doesn't affect me right um but again other people like gary he could have a, a a cracker and his sleep would be disrupted um and obviously there's other things like alcohol and stuff that have to related to the diet that you know potentially and quite logically interfere with your ability to sleep um so again maybe cutting those things out on top of that like there's obviously foods that could potentially interact with sleep and what i mean by that is um like you could eat foods that make you more tired. Like people notice that from food. They're like, I eat this and I'm real drowsy after it. And this could be mediated by like histamine because histamine does actually play a role um, in sleep regulation overall. Again, it's one of those weird ones where it's like, this is not working in the brain or potentially not working in the brain. And it's only really because histamine is degraded really quickly in the bloodstream and stuff. And so it's interacting some way with the like an um, interior uh, the the gut nervous system or potentially some other things that we don't really know about um but histamine in the brain it does result in like drowsiness this is why you take like antihistamines and you're like 
fucking conchdex or sorry i should say histamine is associated with like wakefulness and stuff and but anyway it's 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 fucking beside the point basically just don't eat foods that are bad for you you know um in terms of like you react poorly to them even if it's not uh related to the histamine stuff like if you're just sitting there or trying to go to sleep and your tummy is like gurgling all over the place and you feeling it's cramping up and whatever else like that's not beneficial for sleep you know so don't eat foods that are bad for you pretty straightforward and again as i said we've talked about the diet fucking ad nauseum I don't feel like talking about it here Gary, do you have anything to add to that no not really it's fairly simple we could go in fucking in-depth on this stuff but again there's fucking 100,000 words that people can read if they really want to um final two things then is first of all reduce your use of stimulants like this should be fucking pretty straightforward like if you're taking something that it results in wakefulness and you're having a hard time sleeping stop taking the thing that results in wakefulness like that that should be fucking step one right and so if you're drinking 12 cups of coffee per day and you can't sleep get rid of 12 cups of coffee today per day or again just minimize them reduce them down like but you're probably better off just completely eliminating them cold turkey and calling it good and this can be something that you know uh, people don't really realize how much of an impact this has on their sleep. Like they'll be taking something like caffeine, coffee, whatever. And they'll be like, Oh, I wake up and I don't feel rested. And it's like, yeah, because like you haven't actually got deep sleep or you haven't actually got like the quality sleep that you need because you're taking fucking stimulants, you know? Um, but anyway, yeah. So I, again, I think it's pretty straightforward. We don't need to go too far into it. Like reduce your use of stimulants, whatever they are, whether they're fucking, <sighs> caffeine whether it's fucking i don't know beta adrenergic fucking stimulants i don't know you're fucking taking clenbuterol or something i don't fucking know like just reduce it if you can't sleep you know um that's it's a pretty good idea i don't think it needs further explanation anything on that guy um will it can we just throw alcohol and weed in here or do you do you have that i was going to finish up with that in terms of fine (laughs) and the next thing then is sleep supplements and um, like there's fucking hundreds of them and i wrote the most fucking comprehensive article that you can find online and i know it is the most comprehensive article you can find online because i read all the other fucking articles online and they were shit um and so yeah it, there's there's sleep supplements that may or may not help read the fucking article and you can find them i went fucking a deep dive on the mechanistic stuff in terms of why these work and where they work and why they fucking potentially could be in your arsenal and um, but ultimately i don't fucking use any of them myself so Take that for what you will. And maybe that's something that you should take on board when you're like, oh, I know they really spend a lot of time on all this other stuff, but I'm going to ignore that. And I'm going to focus on the sleep supplements because I know that's what most people are going to do. They're like, what thing can I take to improve my sleep rather than the stuff that we just spent the last fucking two hours talking about? And they're going to be like, oh, the supplements. Let me read that article, you know, and when it is in fact the least effective. Right. Now, the final, final thing then we want to just touch on is <clears throat> recreational drugs right like they're not beneficial for sleep like they just aren't right um and the the sleep supplements the reason i said there's two things left and we'll go into the weed stuff like i covered cbd and weed in that sleep supplements article right neither are beneficial for sleep like i don't know where this lie or myth or fucking whatever came about but it's just not true neither of them are beneficial for sleep now they might uh, reduce your sleep latency in terms of it might you might be able to get to sleep quick more quickly right that seems to be the case especially for something like uh cbd or even weed right people are like yeah it actually reduces my sleep latency i can get to sleep quicker but it dramatically reduces your sleep quality like it's not it's not beneficial i mean weed cbd doesn't seem to do fucking jack shit for your sleep quality as far as i can see or remember and um, 
So like, I don't, like, I don't see why people are like, oh yeah, really, really beneficial, right? CBD, however, and I'll cover when I do the stress series, it does seem to be a bit more beneficial for like stress management stuff, like anxiety and stuff. So that could be why people notice an effect from taking CBD before bed. They're like, oh yeah, it kind of mellows me out a little bit and that allows me to reduce my sleep latency and allows me to get to sleep. But at the same time, it's like, there's more effective supplements for that. <laughs> you know, like, why would you... If that's, if that's what we're actually trying to use, then let's use the most effective supplements for that. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, weed in and of itself does not seem to be beneficial for sleep. Alcohol, again, I did an, uh, an article series on alcohol itself. Not beneficial for sleep, like in no way. Again, it might decrease your sleep latency in, in terms of you might get to sleep faster, but effectively you're not sleeping. You're just knocked out. You know, like that's like saying like, oh, Gary, punch me in the face there so I can get to sleep. Like you're, you're not sleeping. Like you're just knocked out, you know, although you wouldn't be able to knock me out because you're a little bitch. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's, it's not beneficial for, for sleep. So like, just don't do it. And then all of the other like fun drugs, like, I don't know, fucking ecstasy, cocaine, fucking anything like that. Like Clearly not, right? they're, like they're, they're obviously not beneficial for sleep. Like if anyone's fucking dropped a few fucking pingers, they know that like it's not beneficial for sleep. If you've been fucking literally lying in your bed and you sniff your nose and you're like, oh shit, there's something just fucking travel down the back of my neck there and that's not going to let me go to sleep for the next fucking hour. Like that's, that's not a great fucking way to try to go to sleep, right? Um, so don't do recreational drugs if you want to improve your sleep. Like, like that should be a fucking no-brainer. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, it, it's a funny one because so many people will actually use them as deliberate sleep aids. Like, I know so many people who are like, yeah, you know, I just spark up a joint in the hour before bed just to help me get to sleep, you know, but it, it degrades your sleep quality. It's the exact same with alcohol. And I think people kind of get it with alcohol when you actually drink a lot because you'll, you'll feel this. Like, you, if you go on a heavy night out and you go to sleep, you might've been asleep for 10 hours, but you basically feel like you didn't go to sleep at all. Like you're just absolutely wrecked independent of the hangover. And what tends to happen is that you get this like huge reduction in, um, in REM sleep. And then you get like a rebound effect the next night. That's why people have the horrors when they go to bed the night after um, a night of drinking, you basically get this rebound REM sleep and you really vivid uh, dreams, like nightmares, all that sort of stuff. Um, and basically as a result of just having this kind of rebound sleep phenomenon. Um, so yeah, look, alcohol and weed, yeah, did not great for the old sleep, you know. And I'd also just like to point out as well that about 20% of people don't even get hangovers, and I am one of them. So hate that, you fucking plebs, getting a fucking hangover when you drink. <laughs> it's truly weak. <laughs> anyway, Gary, that concludes this sleep episode. Do you have anything else to say on this? Because it's quite a long one. Um, Anything else that you'd like to add to it? Like, obviously, again, as I said at the start and repeatedly throughout this, like there's articles. There's literally, I, I could, I, I wrote them as best I could to be as direct and to the point and also still explain everything that I wanted to explain. So there was no way I was going to basically speak 100,000 words eloquently and, you know, fact checked. Like I've probably definitely made like one or two mistakes here or there or said something like, wakeful or sleepy or fucking whatever when I was meant to say the other thing like whenever I listen back to these I'm like oh I actually meant to say that um but again like that's what you get when it's just a an unscripted discussion rather than reading our comprehensive articles where it's like no I've actually spent fucking 40 hours writing this 10,000 word 
article and I've gone through every single word again and again and again. And even then still you miss fucking spelling mistakes and fucking whatever else, you know? Yeah. So like one thing I would say in summary is that when you're thinking about the whole kind of pre-bed routine thing and trying to set yourself up for, for sleep, like don't just think of it as like, you know, it's just this one, it's just a series of switches. Like it's not the case that if you have one drink, that's it, you know, sleep quality destroyed. It's more so a case of thinking about the overall big picture. Like for example, if you are someone who likes to, you know, smoke a a joint in the evening. Smoke one weed. Huh? Smoke one weed. Yeah. If if you like to have one weed in the evening, um, then that, that's not necessarily a terrible thing. Like, for example, if you... If you Apart from six, the fact that it's illegal in our country. Well, yes. Apart from that, of course. <laughs> but, like, let, let's just roll with it. Or let's pretend all our listeners are in California. Um, so, like, let's say that's part of your routine. At, like, 6 or 7 p.m., you, like, turn off the laptop, you spark up your joint, and you just read for a couple hours or whatever, and you're just chilling out on the couch, and then you go to bed at 10 or 11. Like, that's clearly overall... A positive situation like because it's all part of this overall desire to like wind down to relax to not do anything stressful so you have to think about the overall big picture like we're not saying that if you have a relaxing evening with your husband or wife and you have a glass of wine as part of that that that's going to be terrible for sleep because you'd actually say that the person who's not having a drink and is super stressed going to bed and everything and they're thinking about the election and they're worried about um i don't know joe biden's going to be a fascist or something that they're freaking out about that stuff if that person's going to be in a worse position so you have to think about the overall picture like i, I the, the night before the election results were were released i was just so caught up in thinking about the whole thing that i literally woke like every hour and was just like oh, tempted to check my phone which is incredibly weak um, but that stuff happens to me a lot like if i'm if i'm super stressed like if i'm think if i'm thinking about what i've been studying or something like that like that will just run through my mind you know so if i had been you know taking four hours to chill out to wind down before sleep and happen to have a glass of wine as part of that that doesn't immediately negate all the positive efforts so yeah just, just keep it all in, in the big picture. So what you're saying is we're going to justify smoking DMT out of a light bulb the next time you come <laughs> up um, just because it's big picture. Just uh, just because of the big picture. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got you. Uh, cool. Fantastic. <laughs> and we'll smoke crack in the mornings for some wakefulness as well. Like, it'll really get us going. Just, just to get us exercising. Like, it's all big picture at the end of the day. 100%. Anyway, I, I don't have anything else to say. As I said repeatedly, articles read them if you care more there's articles on our website about fucking everything gary keeps saying he's going to start writing articles but all i know is i've written about four thousand million words more than him um just in the last month alone um but anyway look that's beside the point uh <laughs> gary where can people find our services engage with our services etc Uh, As always, guys, you can join the Coach's Corner if you're a coach and you want to learn more about the applied art and science of coaching, Um, specifically personal training, people who are working with people one-to-one. That's our primary um, audience. Um, So people working one-to-one and online primarily at the moment, obviously, with lockdown. Um, So that's that's our primary audience with the, the Coach's Corner. So you can get involved there if you'd like if you just like to keep up with what we're doing the content we're producing the articles etc then you can join the triage method newsletter or 
or and or I should say, the Triage Method community, which is our free Facebook group. Um, and then you can obviously follow along with everything else that we're doing um, in terms of Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube in particular would recommend. And if you are someone who's thinking about uh, getting involved with coaching, you'd like to actually work with us towards your own goals. Maybe you'd like to get a nice sleep routine in order, work in your sleep, etc. Then we do have spaces available at the moment if you are interested in that. Yeah, I have nothing else to say, Gary. <clears throat> I hope you the next four months of uh, election basically doesn't interrupt your sleep because all I remember is this fucking same thing happened where they fucking said Al Gore was president. Like I was like eight and I still remember that. Um, and it's going to be that it took 30 days for that to be hashed out. So we're going to have to fucking deal with this. So I really hope your sleep isn't impacted when you're thinking about the election for the next you know, month, two months, four months, maybe. No, I will be. I'll just never sleep properly again. Anyway, look, I have nothing else to say. It's too easy. This was a phenomenal podcast, Carrie. I absolutely loved sitting here with you talking discussing I'm starving and see my sleep's going to be ruined now because we're recording this late at night and i have a roast beef dinner downstairs waiting for me and whew, i can't wait anyway ttyl guys xoxo love you good night spacone noche <laughs>